Your party slams the heavy door behind them before slumping to hands and knees or leaning on the dark earth walls for support. The noble had sent you on what he referred to as a fetch quest, a simple matter of retrieving a locket from an old friend who had gone missing once again. He just wanted a small memento that meant a lot to the both of them. Shouldn't be nearly as hard as fighting an owlbear. So far, your party has gone through two stone golems, a scare with the undead, and a mimic the size of a pantry. You will never trust the noble's words again, but look forward to spending his money. You take a few moments to catch your breath and look around the room. It appears to be ornate in comparison to the rest of the cave system. The room is circular, and you are standing on a ring-like upper level. There are stairs that lead down to a lower level that is empty except for a thin, tall cabinet made mostly of glass. The torches set in the walls across the upper level flicker dimly. Your party can just barely make out the cabinet and its contents as you tread down the stairs. There are three shelves within. The bottom one holds a few old tomes. The middle one houses a crystal that hovers and seems to slowly spin while giving off a faint white light. Lastly, at the top sits a tarnished locket, much larger than you had anticipated. Your party begins to paw at the cabinet, looking for any last trap when you feel a shift in the air, and your breath comes out like steam, fogging the glass of the cabinet. The temperature in the room plummets, and immediately causes you to shudder as a wind sweeps down at you from the top of the stairs. You all turn and look back up and can just barely make out the new form in the room. It is gaunt to the point of skeletal, with a set of loose robes that glint with silver threads in the low light. Its face is so sunken that you can count the teeth behind its thin lips. Embers glow from the pits that were once its eyes, and it takes you all in before opening its mouth, and another wave of wind wraps your party in frost. It raises an emaciated hand adorned with silver rings out like a claw, the same light within its eyes growing in its palm. Your party readies their weapons. Roll for initiative. Hello, and welcome to the seventh episode, I didn't say edition this time, of Monsters and... This week, uh, we're going to be Monsters and Madness. This is apropos, because we are talking about one of the most dense, kind of out there, not out there, but like insane monsters uh, since I think we've talked about, like, say, Beholders, something like that, we're talking right. about... Right, this one is much more dense than the other one, and so far this is, like, the most information-heavy monster we've talked about. So y'all better enjoy it. We're talking about liches this week. But before we go any further, we are Monsters and I am John Natsky. And I'm Christine Stofer. We are a Monsterpedia podcast that's telling you far too much information about monsters that we love and you should know about. 
And yeah, we're talking about liches this week. So I hope y'all really like this. This is one uh, that we wanted to do. We're going to try to do another spooky episode this month for another spooky monster. Right. But but we wanted to do this one to sort of bring in a Halloween feel to it. Yeah. Maybe we'll do like a Christmas themed episode later too. What would be a Christmas monster? I don't know. Like a, um, what's that German christmas monster oh, like a krampus kind yeah of thing? that i forgot what that was i called. don't think that's a D monster i guarantee you someone's turned that into a D. are monster. we gonna do like a weird turkey for like thanksgiving or sure why not let's do dire turkeys <laughs> that's a thing right? dire turkeys probably not a thing. are there were turkeys maybe no where where animals tend to be lichen uh not lycanthropes uh lycanthropes tend to be mammals not birds or reptiles okay this is this is for our like where we should do a we should do a where episode though like different okay this is off topic all right we're stopping and we're going to talk about liches thank you all for joining us in the moments with like this the behind the scenes like how me and christine normally talk but liches are based upon uh old world lore I'm kind of basically starting with the word lich itself is an archaic word for corpse or body. Uh, Gygax said that he based the description of a lich on the short story The Sword of the Sorcerer by Gardner Fox. Uh, Lovecraft, another obviously writer that love or hate, I love, he's still a jerk, also used the word in The Thing on the Doorstep, where the narrator refers to the corpse of his friend, which was possessed by a sorcerer. So heavy ties for there. Now, the imagery surrounding demi-liches, subcategory of liches, in particular that of a jeweled skull, is drawn from the early Fritz Lieber story, Thieves' House. Um, I always kind of like really admired that because the, the imagery that you see uh, for the demi-liches specifically always remind me of like the sugar skulls for the Dia de los Muertos, like the, the jewel eyes, the painting across them. Uh, these uh, liches, they pop up in quite a bit of of, of pop culture there like always we will mention world of warcraft uh, <laughs> all the in a fantasy video games type things like that like uh they're also in elder scrolls series and dota too. yeah my favorite line that i always hum to myself because i was a dota player for a while lich gonna have your mana uh one of my favorite things in the whole world actually i'm gonna listen to dumb dota shit later uh okay but voldemort is basically a lich this is just something we want to throw out there yeah i mean it was it was mentioned a lot online in relation to liches when i was looking at things um because i mean he's essentially a wizard that kind of like has put his soul into these objects in much the same way a lich does in the D universe with a phylactery yes and we will get into that like you'll hear more about that in just a moment here of course uh one of my favorite things the lich king in adventure time uh and Ready player one. Uh, that's all we're going to say. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that anymore. Christine, tell okay. me more about liches. So a lich is basically this, he's a wizard that decided that he wanted to live forever. So he was going to put part of his soul and make a bunch of deals with sometimes demons to get this method of basically making himself immortal by putting his soul into an object. Um, they appear very much as a white or mummy does. Um, they're skeletal with eye sockets that like, they're just black holes with these pinpricks of light in them that glow. Um, they're most often like covered in rotting clothing from like whenever they were alive. Usually they, they tend to be like either like higher class clothes or like 
just richer in general clothing. Think of it like ceremonial death garb that they were, whatever they might have been buried in, that they're still just lounging around in. No, they weren't buried in it. They were never buried. They chose to do this to themselves. Well, that's what I mean. Like, think of it like that when the image, that's what I go to in my brain. I'm always so bad at this, at least interjections. Christine, continue to tell me about liches. I'll shut up. (laughs) So they were great wizards who embraced death as a means of preserving themselves. Um, They're usually a wizard or a sorcerer, but can be a cleric or other kind of spellcaster, just someone who uses magic a lot and used it to unnaturally extend their lives. Um, they They seek to further their own power at any cost and don't care for the affairs of the living, as in most of the time they don't really pay attention to anything going on unless someone comes in and bothers them and, you know, messes up their stuff. Mm hmm um they are scheming and insane and hunger for long forgotten knowledge and terrible secrets they they are driven by that fact they are literally the epitome of power hungry like they are literally driven insane by the thirst for power and knowledge and yeah magic because often uh they they conceive of plans taking like years decades or even centuries to complete like anything that they need to do yeah, to just because like power. time means nothing to them at this point. Like a lot of times, they'll even like, f- like it's, it, we'll mention later that they have to like feed their uh, phylactery, which is the thing they put their soul into. They have to feed it with souls, and like sometimes they will forget to do that because they don't have a concept of time really anymore. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, well, kind of going in that, like uh, they they forget their former names, like that, like you said, like old information means nothing to a lich. Their former life means nothing to them. They'll often take on pseudonyms that they just either physical attributes, other people name them. Uh, famous ones are, are they, they take the the kind of names like the Black Hand or the Forgotten King. I Think, love the Forgotten King. That's such a good name. It's a really good name. Uh, they. There's this kind of like mixed lore that I think would be fun to use in an idea, which was like learning the true name of a lich is rumored to like confer power over them in some way. It's kind of like learning the name of a of a demon. I almost of. actually saw this more as like learning their true name and then speaking it to them would remind them of their past and kind of bring some mm-hmm. of their humanity back and like kind of just make them a little less demonic seeming, you yeah. know, or evil or undead, like just kind of bring their past life to the forefront of their minds or something. Yeah. Uh, Now, the process of becoming a lich is a well-guarded secret. One that we're going to explain to you later. Yeah. I mean, technically... But in the the D&D lore universe, it's a well-guarded secret. (laughs) I mean, like, yeah, like, the the everyday boy child does not know how to become a lich, is what we're saying in in the world of of the Forgotten Realms. Uh, Wizards that seek lichdom must have... uh, have made bargains with fiends, evil gods, or other foul entities like we brought up before, and many turn specifically to the demon prince of undeath, Orcus, who has created many liches. All right, so a lich gets created, like I said before, when it traps its soul in a phylactery, um, which is an item that's usually like a small box where, like, uh, Runes and like words and letters can be inscribed on the inside in silver as part of the binding magic. Um, you saw that with like the I had the the picture of like a locket in, in that kind of sense. So that's why you saw that image in the intro, 
Right, but it can it can be any item possessing interior space. It doesn't have to be a locket or like it's, the example in the book is a small box. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only way to get rid of a lich for sure is to destroy its phylactery. So like you can kill its physical body, but if it still has that, you know, this goes back to like the same thing with Horcruxes with Voldemort and mm-hmm. Harry Potter. If you if it still has that, it's not going to be dead. He can come back. Mm-hmm. Now. Uh, after a phylactery is prepared, the future lis- l- 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 lich drinks a potion. This is how a, a lich becomes a lich. It's like the f- this is like which the f- is the the quote unquote well guarded secret. This but they the- tell you exactly how to do yeah, it. In the this book. is the Lego brick book where you just like and then do this and then do this and then do this. Uh, a poison mixed with the blood of a sentient creature whose soul is sacrificed to the phylactery. Now this doesn't mean you have to kill it with the phylactery. That just means you you offer the soul in a ceremony to well, this. Well, actually, you trap its soul in the phylactery. Yeah. So, uh, this is something that I... Well, I just had a funny image where, like, someone beat someone to death with, like, a locket. <laughs> with a heart-shaped locket. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's what I was going to go for, for that. <laughs> a lich must feed souls to the phylactery to sustain the magic preserving its body. Now, was this... This wasn't, like, a constant until 5th edition, correct? Like, it was was it just one soul, and then they were kind of good in, like, the earlier editions? It actually, or? I don't think it really even mentioned a soul in the earlier editions, like, as being part of it. A part, like, there was a bunch of other, like, different things for making your phylactery and becoming a lich, and, like, part of it was, like, just being really, really good at magic, basically. <laughs> like, there was a spell in, like, one of the old editions that you had to do, and there was, like a one in 20 chance that like it was you had to roll a d20 and if you got an 18 or higher you succeeded so it's sorry it's a one in 10 chance that you're gonna just die because if you (laughs) fail the spell you're just dead well Um, i mean at least i at least doing it in fifth edition is more forgiving i guess sort of like so in fifth edition they try to make it it's fifth edition and 3.5 they actually mention this they just make it so that it's like liches are inherently evil like they have to do an evil thing in order to become a lich where like the earliest editions they're kind of just like these insane wizards that like really want more power they might Mm -hmm. not necessarily be evil but they're 100 percent Mm self-serving whereas like fifth edition takes that and kind of fifth edition and 3.5 take that and kind of like full out these guys are evil yeah and they <laughs> like, take souls they spell it out yeah. you know that's that's the intention and like to, but to it was do- never maintained like it didn't have to be maintained in anything other than i think 3.5 and yeah. 5 yeah the, or the first two like ad and uh second edition didn't have that kind of main thing but to talk about the preserving of souls they they do this with an imprisonment spell trapping a target's body and soul in the phylactery after 24 hours, the creature is consumed and destroyed utterly. Only divine intervention can restore it to life. I think this would be a kind of a cool, like, campaign idea or, like, something that happens in one of your campaigns where one of your party members could get trapped in this and not die. Like, you're, the rest of the party is trying to save them before mm-hmm. the 24 hours are up. But anyways, continue, Jeff. Yeah. A lich that fails to sacrifice souls begins to fall apart and may eventually become a demi-lich. So... Let's talk, take a second to talk about demiliches. Sorry, John, I'm interrupting yeah, you. Cool. But demiliches, despite the name, are not actually lesser liches. They're just liches who, like, basically have stopped giving a, a anything, a, a hoot. I don't know. Yeah, like, they basically, like, they the, the way that they were... They caring about their physical body, like, yeah. or about anything, really. They don't have a physical body. They're just a floating skull at this point, usually, or a pile of bones or something. It was talked about that a demi-lich is basically the point in a lich's time where, like, they grow up 
in a sense. Like, they're just like, well, I'm kind of done. I did all the things. But they can they can also, like, so, well, no, I mean, if they stop maintaining it, they, becoming a dem- they become a demi-lich. But if they live for so long that the magic is, like, sort of slowly, slowly failing on their bodies, that's when they become a demi-lich, too? Yeah. Oh, Okay. Oh, f- fair enough. I also heard the the third counterpart to that is like they seek out becoming a demi lich when they're like they have specific arcane knowledge that they're seeking out that they no longer need their corporal body for anymore, and it kind of fades into makes a, sense a, dem- a demi lich form. Uh, demi liches tend to be a little bit more powerful than actual liches. By should the we way. should we just talk about arch liches now, right? Uh, then now, or what do you want to do? Um. Yeah. Sure. We can just talk about that now. Um. There's also another subtype of liches called arch liches, which were um, liches that were good during their life, Mm -hmm. and they retained their memories and personality and the abilities they had in life, unlike regular liches who kind of tend to ignore that and forget about it. So really, they're just liches who are like neutral or good. Not They're just like powerful beings that like have sacrificed themselves in some way uh, for this. Now... All liches, if a lich fails to sacrifice souls, begins to they begin to fall apart and they become a demi-lich like we brought up. When a bo- lich's body is broken, its soul and mind move to the phylactery and within days a new body forms next to it. Now, the destruction of the phylactery means the possible eternal death of a lich. So they keep it well hidden and guarded. Uh, this was a point in the intro, the big everything that the the party has to deal with before that. Um, destroying a phylactery usually requires a special ritual item or weapon to completely wipe it out. Right, so so speaking about, like, where they live, um, the liches tend to hide out in, like, chambers deep hidden underground or in wilderness areas, like, in caves far away from people. Obviously, they don't want to be bothered. They don't want people to find their mm-hmm. their lairs and take their phylactery. I mean, they also have stuff to them. do. They have like yeah, re- I mean the research and stuff. They don't give a shit about anyone else. They just want to read their books. God. <laughs> um, so they secure their lairs with magic and mundane traps, as well as undead constructs and bound demons. Um, they can also do you know any anything you want to put in there. They can be in there. But that was kind of like the point in the intro with the you know golems um, and uh, all yeah. the other stuff. All that stuff. Um, but they're usually solitary creatures that fortify the crap out of their homes in order to just be left alone to do their studies, like John said. Yeah. Uh, Now, about, like, how they will defend their homes uh, for this, uh, the specific kind of combat tendencies of a lich are the combat tendencies of a very powerful sorcerer. So there's a lot of details that if we went into in the lich, you'd be like, oh, you're describing a sorcerer. Yes, 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 we are. Um, Now, specifically for liches, though, they can only be affected by magical attacks. Uh, Liches kind of collect spells and magic items such as potions, scrolls, spell books, wands, and staffs, and will use any number of them to defend its lair. So, So, real quick, though, on top of being immune to any non-magical, like, physical weapon attacks, they're also immune to being charmed, exhausted, frightened, paralyzed, or poisoned. So, there's no real, there's not major, there's a lot of, like, major status effects that cannot be, like, that liches don't, aren't, aren't dealing with there. Yeah, they also have resistance to, like, a few things, to cold, necrotic, and lightning damage. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Well, because um, they're like dead people, and like dead people don't feel that kind of stuff. Look, but lightning could bring them back to life. That's they're not Frankenstein's, Christine. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Frankenstein's monster. I'm sorry. All right. <laughs> now, specifically, the lich do have a few um, actions that can be done within uh, their lairs, and they have specific actions on their own, like specific, like frightening gaze. Uh, when cast, it frightens a uh, target for up to a minute. And the other being paralyzing touch, uh, which is they just have a paralyzing touch. I mean, like um, if they if they was it like a is there a saving throw for that at all, or is it just like uh, I'm pretty sure it's just the lich. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's just like a, an action. Like there's no like there's no like saving throw for that or anything like this. Um, so. The, the lich can also, like, um, when it's in its lair specifically, it can call forth the spirits of creatures that have died in its lair. So you might be fighting more than just a lich if you try and fight it in its lair. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a couple other things it can do. Like, it can recover spell slots on its turn in its lair. And what's the last thing? Okay, so this is like a weird ability where they can link themselves with a, one of the players that it's fighting oh. via like a lightning bolt thing is how it's like visualized. Where like, so if it has that active and someone attacks it, it like splits the damage with whoever it's connected to. Like half of oh. it goes to them and half of it goes to the lich. So it's kind of like, no, you can't damage me. I'm going to hurt you instead. Okay, this is like a, that's a common trope used in like bunch of different things that i didn't know was tied to liches specifically the more you know everybody uh but i think that brings us to the closing part of the description ecology main tendencies of a lich and uh we're gonna be back with the trap puzzle so see you in a minute Your party feels the air change around them as the light of the lich's eyes fade into blackness and its body begins to disintegrate. The frost that had invaded the room melts and drenches your party in an uncomfortable damp. You will certainly be having a few words with the noble upon your return. Your party turns to the cabinet, now toppled over and pushed to the far end of the lower level, but otherwise intact. You are hesitant to get closer, fearful now of the next turn of events, but when you roll the thin cabinet so the door faces up, you can't seem to find anything sinister. You reach down, with weapons still in hand, and give the latch a sharp tug so it swings open, bracing yourselves and taking a step back all in one motion. But nothing happens. You look down. The books are still books. The locket is still a locket the crystal still spinning. Your party shares a look together and then bends down and takes the locket. It's surprisingly warm. Unsure of what else to do, your party begins to gather themselves and head back the way they came. You make it to the foot of the stairs before noticing an unsettling sound, a whirring that is growing louder and louder. You all turn and the crystal 
was within the cabinet now floats above, spinning at a rapid pace, its light changing from a white to now a deep violet. And before a decision can be made to run or fight or react, the crystal explodes. Shards pierce your skin and you feel something unnatural envelop you. Then the world goes purple. So John, tell me all about this trap that you've set up. I mean, it's the, it's literally the, the, the simplest, I will say stupidest trap that we've done so far. Where it's just like uh, a booby trap in a sense the the it's triggered that when you take the object and are about to leave the area uh we have decided it's a plane shift on you yeah yeah exactly this is um this is us stitching the two narratives together uh so now it's canon everybody the first the parties from the intros and the traps are the same party that's that's it's it's right but um the the party the intro part isn't gonna be like chronologically in sync with the trap part yeah like the trap parts are all connected like one after the other but the intros aren't going to be that way yeah because it would just be way too hard for us to try and find a creature to go along with like we would have to match the creature for the entire episode with the planar shift that we're about to do yeah so the the in a sense what we're going to do next which you'll see and i hope you guys enjoy is they uh are going to be transported through a stretch of planes of existence and there will be traps and puzzles that kind of deviate from each one uh we don't know what we're going to do next time we're going to figure it out and have a good time and i hope you all enjoy it um but this one was simple basically it's a booby trap and they get the the whole shtick in the sense is they're transported somewhere else. In this case, they're transported to another plane. Yeah, and hopefully we'll have a good story to go with these guys like we did with the last Trap and Puzzle series. Yeah, I hope you guys like it. And let us know what your thoughts are once we kind of get that ball moving. Where can they let us know about that, John? Uh, it would be at monstersandpod at gmail.com. It would also be at Twitter at monstersandpod. Uh, they, uh, we have a Facebook page yes. as well. Monsters and. So Facebook. you can catch us on there. Yeah. Um, also, same thing as last time. If you share our podcast on Twitter or. Five star rating. Give us a rate and review on. Uh, I, I, that was very asshole move of me. So I'm not going to say just give us a rating. That's fine. We'll still shout you out even if you don't like it. I mean, like we just generally like a reaction. Right, and speaking of which, we do have one person that retweeted our post about the episode last time, and we really appreciate that. It helps us get the word out. So special shout out to Garrett Debenick. I hope I said your name right. Uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, you are a super awesome human being. So <laughs> speaking of special thanks, special thanks to our producer, Zach Haney. You can find him at um, com, and we have all of his stuff on Facebook if you need any producing um and also my friend brie who made our um little logo thing for the monsters and podcast her information also can be found on our facebook yeah uh i think that's everybody correct Mm -hmm. okay Uh, well thank you uh again as always thanks for listening yeah